right. So as Pete said, I'll be reading from uh, 2 Corinthians, all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 in the Bible with a holy Bible written on it on the front just by itself. That's page 820. And I don't have the other one, sorry. So hopefully you've got that holy Bible. (laughs) Or you can look up there. So 2 Corinthians, uh, starting from chapter 8. First one. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who has gathered much did not have, did not have too much. He who gathered little did not have too little. I thank God who put in the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he is coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative. And we are sending along with him the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do this, to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. In addition, we are sending them, we are sending with them our brother who has often proved to us in many ways that he is zealous, and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you, As for our brothers, they are representatives of the churches and an honour to Christ. 
Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you in Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. For if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written... He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for the, his indescribable gift. Hey, uh, let's pray as we, uh, before we uh, think about, dive into God's word. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, want to thank and praise you for uh, your word. We pray and thank you for your spirit who uh, enlivens your word and uh, changes our minds and our hearts. Father, we pray that uh, we would be changed as we consider this great passage from uh, 2 Corinthians this morning, and we ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, In January uh, 2020, Australia was ravaged by bushfires. Do you remember that? Uh, It was a terrible time with uh, loss of life, with uh, huge uh, uh, um, sections of uh, landscape that were blackened, and uh, people's homes and their possessions were turned to ash and uh, one story which which really touched my heart uh, came from a church on the New South Wales south coast which was particularly badly affected uh, at that time Uh, a church which was trying to help others uh, in their congregation and in their community uh, trying to help others to rebuild their lives and uh, they had received um, in order to do so had received donations from 
Christians in other places and other churches. And the financial gift, uh, which actually uh, caused tears of thanksgiving uh, for that church, uh, was not actually the, the largest sum of money that was given. It was actually a gift of money from a, a small a church in a, a, a tribal church uh, in the highlands of Papua New Guinea, uh, who that South Coast church had supported uh, in their uh, ministry, and now it was the, the chance of this poor uh, subsistence living uh, group of Christians in Papua New Guinea to show their love by taking up a collection to help a suffering church and community in Australia. Now, I know I've shared that story before, but it's so good, isn't it? It's so good. Uh, it's, so, it's so surprising that uh, these uh, poor Christians, tribal Papua New Guinea people in the high in the highlands, in a village, that they would even be thinking of giving... Uh, to help Australian Christians in the, you know, one of the richest countries in the world. And, you know, in a sense, it's not unlike a situation which happened in the New Testament, uh, when for about a decade uh, there was a terrible drought uh, which impacted uh, particularly the region uh, around Judea, uh, which is the home of, of the Jews, with the capital city of uh, Jerusalem, uh, it was badly affected by a terrible drought that went on for about a decade. Now, in Australia, we know the terrible effects of drought, uh, although you've got to say that in Port Macquarie, how does the drought impact us? Well, it means maybe we don't get to water our gardens, we don't get to wash our cars or fill up our swimming pools. But in first century Judea, it meant poverty and hunger. And so the Apostle Paul arranged for a famine relief appeal uh, that a collection would be taken up uh, from churches in the, the other parts of uh, uh, the Mediterranean, the other parts of the world at that time, uh, in order to help provide for the churches which were outside of Judea, were uh, taken up from churches outside of Judea to help the Jews uh, inside Judea, that is from Gentile churches to be supporting Jewish Christians. Now, when we think of the gift of the Papua New Guinea church, uh, we realise the reason it causes tears to well up is, is because it wasn't just the money that counted. That's right, isn't it? Uh, it was the love uh, that the South Coast Christians experienced and that sense of being united, being united with such a, a very different group of people, united as one, uh, which was also the case with the famine relief uh, collection that the Apostle Paul organised. Uh, because for Jews, there were only two types of people in the world. There were Jews and everybody else. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. But the gospel breaks down that barrier, doesn't it? 
that barrier that existed uh, for, for hundreds of years between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, for because of Jesus, anyone, whether they are a Jew or whether they are a non-Jew, anyone can be saved. Uh, which means that Jews and Gentiles can now be one people, one family, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, it's one thing to know that, but it's sometimes another thing to, to really know that, especially for, for Jewish Christians who they, they weren't quite sure, they still weren't quite sure about these Gentiles, about Gentiles actually being their brothers and sisters, part of the same family. And, and Gentile Christians uh, who who needed to be reminded of the, of the spiritual debt that they owed to the Jews, that the gospel had come uh, from the Jews to the Gentiles. And so Paul's famine relief appeal was about more than just the money, uh, which we see in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, uh, from the response of the churches in Macedonia. If you have that open in your Bibles in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, let me read to you again, from verses 1 to 5, uh, where Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, and now, brothers, uh, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Uh, entirely on their own, they pleaded urgently with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with, the God's, with God's will. Now, I think at this point a map might be helpful. So, bear with me. It's up there already, is it? Excellent magic, the magic of technology. Um, Paul, you can see where Macedonia is there. Uh, Paul was in Macedonia when he wrote this letter to the uh, uh, Christians who were in Corinth, which is uh, further south. And uh, Paul had gone to Macedonia because he wanted to meet up with Titus, who had just visited the church in Corinth to help them to work through the uh, painful, the, or the severe letter that Paul had written to them. And uh, so he was there in Macedonia and he was there with Titus. Now, in Macedonia, there were three, at least three cities with churches that we know of. Uh, uh, there was a church in Philippi. There's a letter to the Philippians, isn't there? Uh, there was a, a church in Thessalonica. There's a couple of letters to the Thessalonian Christians. And there was also a church in Berea that you can't see on the map there, but it's kind of a little bit sort of southwest of, uh, of Thessalonica. Now, that area of Macedonia was, it was certainly not as rich as Corinth, uh, Corinth being this uh, seaport commercial kind of hub. Uh, it was not as rich as Corinth, but Macedonia nevertheless was not a poor region. And yet, Paul says here in these verses that the Macedonian Christians uh, were experiencing extreme poverty. Um, now, why were they experiencing extreme poverty? They, it was not a poor region. 
But perhaps it's because of what he also talks about in terms of their uh, severe testing, the severe trial that they were going through. And so that is, it seems, that the, uh, the, that the Christians in Macedonia were experienced persecution for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and that that persecution was having for them economic consequences, severe economic consequences. In fact, uh, you could argue that maybe they were the ones who were actually in need of help, and which is why when they heard about the appeal for the Jewish Christians in Judea, that even Paul was surprised by their response. Uh, see what he says in verse 5. He says that they did not do what we expected. Instead, they actually pleaded with Paul. They begged Paul for the privilege of being able to be counted in and contributing to this collection. Now, it may not have been a large sum of money, but uh, just like the widow uh, who Jesus says that when she gave into the temple treasury... She put in a small copper coin, just like that widow, it seems that these Macedonian Christians, in terms of their contribution to the collection, were, had given as much as they were possibly able to do so, and then some. It's surprising generosity, it's surprising grace, it surprised Paul, and so we've got to ask the question, well, why would they do that? The clue is in verse 5. You see, they had received grace given to them by God. They had received the gospel. They knew that because of the gospel, because of God's grace towards them, that they no longer belong to themselves, but that they belong to the Lord and that therefore that they would be gracious to others. And it's that grace which Paul, uh, Paul th seems to think that he, well, Paul does think that he needs to remind the Corinthians about. Uh, when the famine appeal was launched, uh, which was in the year prior to Paul sending this letter, it was the Corinthian Christians who were the first to jump on board uh, with giving. Uh, and in uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the mechanics of how that uh, uh, collection was going to take place were, were, were set up. And the mechanics were that the Corinthian Christians, when they got together on the first day of the week, presumably um, you know, for, for public um, gatherings like we're doing now, uh, when they got together on the first day of the week, that they would each week they would set aside a sum of money which would build up over a period of time so that when Paul eventually visited them, that he would be able to, to, to take that gift and see to it that that gift was delivered to the uh, Christians in Judea. That was a good start. But they needed encouragement to keep going with that weekly collection. And so how does Paul encourage them? Well, uh, first of all, he gives them a couple of examples of love. Check out verse 8 of chapter 8, uh, where he says, I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. 
<laughs> who do you think are the others that he's talking about? I think it's the, the Macedonians, don't you? And what he's saying here is, is, hey guys, if the Macedonians can do it, <laughs> then so can you. But it's not a competition. Uh, he's actually saying that for their sakes, for their benefit. Sometimes it's what we need to hear as well, isn't it? You know, I, I think, you know, Papua New Guinea Christians giving to Australian Christians, helping bushfire victims. And I think to myself, oh my goodness, if they can do that, what about me? <laughs> what about me? But the Macedonians were not the only example of love. For just as they had given up, uh, all, they were giving all that they could possibly give, there was someone else who had given up far more. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. I think that's a verse that every Christian should have kind of stamped onto our hearts, don't you? I mean, how rich was Jesus? Our minds cannot even grapple with that. We can't even begin to imagine the, the wealth of, of, of heaven, the wealth that Jesus had enjoyed for all of eternity past. I'm not talking about wealth of silver and gold, but the unimaginable wealth of being with, united with God the Father in heaven forever. And yet he didn't cling to that, did he? Rather, he gave it up. He humbled himself. He became a man born into poverty, born in a cow shed so that he would die on a cross as he bore the judgment for our sins. He did it for us so that we who are sinful, we who are spiritually bankrupt, that's how poor we are, spiritually bankrupt, that we could now enjoy the, the riches of the forgiveness of God, the riches of relationship with God, the riches of life with God forever and the riches of being able to share that love, share that grace, the riches of good deeds as a response to what God has done for us in Christ. What should motivate us to give to the Lord's work? What should motivate us to give to God's people who are in need? Relieving our guilt? Is that a reason? Impressing God? Well, how about this for a motivator? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to us. You know, the, the Corinthians, they knew that grace and they knew how it should change their lives, how it should change their goals, their priorities, uh, their giving to others. However, in chapter 9, uh, Paul, Paul, Paul's walking a bit of a tightrope here because he, he knows and he, he, he affirms for them that he knows of, of their eagerness to give, but perhaps he's received news from Titus that they have kind of... Uh, let it slip, that they have, they, they have stopped putting aside money every week uh, for the collection. And imagine how embarrassing that would be 
when Paul visits. Uh, Paul would be embarrassed because uh, he's told uh, everyone of how, how, how well organised and how good they are and how embarrassing it would be if he actually brought some Macedonians along with him and they saw that the Corinthians were not ready uh, for the money to be collected, to be taken to Judea. And so in chapter 9, uh, particularly we see this in verses 16 to 24, uh, Paul was sending in advance to Corinth uh, three men. Um, Titus is one of them, and there are two other men who are, who are accompanying Titus. Uh, but they were not just any, any, any two others. Uh, it was not just there were a couple of guys who were available to go with Titus at the time. No, they were chosen in verse 18 and also in verse 23. They were chosen to accompany Titus because of, uh, they were respected. They were respected for their godliness. They were respected by the churches and they were respected by Paul for their service of the gospel and their zeal for the gospel. But why was Paul sending them to Corinth? Well, have a look at chapter 9, verse 5. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance, that is, in advance of his visit, and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it would be ready as a generous gift and not as one begrudgingly given. <laughs> you know what it's like to begrudgingly give something to someone? You know? Actually, uh, think about a positive example. You know, um, impulse marketing. You know, the supermarkets, they've, uh, they've mastered that art uh, of impulse marketing. Don't you? If you don't know what that is, let me tell you what you've been sucked into. <clears throat> when you're queuing up at the, uh, at the checkout at the supermarket, what are the things that they're selling at the, at the, at the, at the checkout, uh, just near the checkout? Sweets, chocolates, lollies, something you'd never, you, you, you've, you've already done your shopping, you never thought about buying those, but there and then, when you're waiting for, the, for your turn, what do you do? You impulse buy. You grab something that you'd never even thought about uh, buying, and uh, then you maybe regret it later. <laughs> But uh, grudging giving is a little bit like that, but kind of like the opposite. You didn't plan to give, but Paul has turned up to collect the appeal money, and it's not there. And so, to avoid embarrassment, what do you do? You you give something. <laughs> you give something to impulsively to avoid embarrassment. When how much better would it have been for you to have thought carefully, to have prayed about it, to have planned it and to have set aside money each week so that everything was in order uh, when the money was to then be taken to Jerusalem. That's what Paul wants to do for the church and that's why these three men have been sent to help them to do that. But Paul was mindful of something else. See, a, few, a couple of months ago, we talked about the three things, the three big issues that can put a wrecking ball through a congregation and through a Christian ministry. Does anyone remember what the three, three things that wreck ministries are, the three key things? Well, let me just refresh your memory. Number one, false teaching. <laughs> Number two, 
sexual immorality in the congregation. And number three, financial scandal. Mark my words, three things. Throw in divisiveness there as well. Financial scandal, though, that's the issue, the possibility here, that is someone lining their own pockets. And so the question is, well, how could the Corinthian Christians be sure that the money which had been collected was actually going to find its way to the poverty-stricken Jewish Christians in Judea? How could they be sure that it was going to actually get there and someone wasn't going to line their own pockets? Well, check out what Paul says about one of the three men that he was sending in advance to Corinth. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 19. Of this particular man, he says, What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering, which we administer in order to honour the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. When the collection was being taken up and when the collection of all the money was taken to Jerusalem, um, Paul was not alone. He was accompanied by men who had been specifically chosen by the churches as godly representatives of the churches. And this man was one of them. It was about accountability. But it's not just that Paul wants to do the right thing. It's also important for Paul to be seen to be doing the right thing Uh, because he knew that the super apostles in Corinth would jump at the opportunity to add the title embezzler to their slurs against him. In our church, when it comes to handling money, uh, we have formal... um, protocols and processes in place (laughs) when cash is counted it's counted by not one person but two people Uh, financial accounts are presented to the committee management every month and audited accounts are presented to the congregation every year uh, audited by someone who you choose to audit those accounts Uh, as a minister I have I do my very best not to come anywhere near touching any cash that's related to the church So we not only do the right thing, but it can be seen to be doing right things so that uh, we can all be confident that uh, no no one has got their hand in the till. So Paul was concerned about that. But his main concern was that the Corinthian Christians would show their love for the Jewish Christians by their generosity. Not just, giving, not just giving a token amount out of guilt so that they don't feel bad about it, but out of genuine love. Check out chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, says Paul, whoever, spares, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, Paul here takes the Old Testament concept of God enriching his people Israel materially when they follow him so that, and particularly when they are being generous to others, being generous to the poor. Now, it needs to be said that there are some preachers today who, who twist this uh, to say that actually what God wants you to do is God wants you to work hard at making lots of money. God wants you to be rich and work hard at being rich so that you can give to them in their ministry uh, so that they can become rich. And when you do that, God is going to make you even more rich. He's going to, you know, I've heard it said that God will bless you ten times uh, if you give your money to me. In which case I think, well, what if, if you need the money, why don't you give your money to me and then God will enrich you ten times? <laughs> See, it's a, a false teaching. Um, in Christ, though, in Christ, when we give as thoughtful, cheerful givers, what we receive is a deeper kind of, of wealth. Certainly, what we find is that God will supply our need as we give, and then some, so that we can continue to be generous. But what we do receive at that deeper level is that we find that this tr the true wealth that we that is generated, is the, is the harvest of righteousness. Uh, when we give money to gospel ministry, uh, we, in order that we might see other people hear about Jesus and be able to put their trust in Jesus and receive salvation. Or when we give to those who are suffering and who need our help, and they are helped by that. And they are strengthened in the Lord by that expression of love that which we give towards them. And ultimately, in chapter 9, verse 13, that wealth which we receive is, the, is, is, that, is that God himself is honoured by what we do. You see how Paul encourages the Corinthians in chapter 9, verse 12. He says, this service you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Isn't that worth doing? That we, that we express God's grace towards other people for the purpose that God would be honoured. That, that is its own reward. That is true wealth. And imagine how thankful to God the suffering Jewish Christians were when they received gifts from Gentiles of whom they would be even more now convinced that because of the gospel, because of Jesus, that they truly now were brothers and sisters with those from who they had been separated from. Brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, people may be sometimes surprised by the way um, Christians give. They may be surprised if they actually knew how we give. I mean, uh, Papua New Guinea Christians 
living in a tribal village, giving to Australian Christians on the south coast? Can you imagine what their, their, their neighbours in the, in the village next door would have thought about them for doing that? <laughs> Crazy. Why would you be giving relief appeal money to Australians? Or Macedonian Gentiles emptying their pockets for Jewish Christians. That sounds crazy. Uh, you and me uh, giving a, a regular slice of our income to the work of, of our church, to the work of supporting people, who our ministry part partners doing gospel ministry in other places, uh, to the work of caring for those who are in need of our help through Jericho Road, for example. For just like the Corinthians, we know that surprising grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become truly rich forever. Let's pray. Father, uh, we are astounded by your incredible grace towards us uh, that, uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, we would be so encaptured by your love for us in Jesus that we would uh, want to uh, display that same grace uh, in the priorities that we have in our lives. Uh, that we would display that same grace uh, in our generosity, uh, in the way that we spend our money, the way we spend our time, the way we spend our resources. Because, Father, we no longer belong to ourselves, but to you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.